You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Beverly Jenkins on the show with me. She has an amazing new book that is a must-have for your to-be-read pile. It's called Wild Rain, and uh, it's it, it's the second book in the Women Who Dare series, a fantastic series that um, that, that brings uh, sheds a new light on on a, a, a time in history and events that maybe you weren't aware of. And uh, this is such a fantastic book. I know you're going to love it. Uh, Wild Rain is available everywhere today. So be sure to go out and grab your copy. Welcome to the show, Beverly. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. I, I've been looking forward to it as well, Beverly. Uh, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Well, you know, I may answer this question oddly, but uh, I had no intentions of being a writer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely none. The only thing I ever wanted to do in life was uh, to work in a library. I've uh, been a voracious reader all my life. Um, I was the editor of my elementary school newspaper in the fourth grade. So, um, but never, you know, I scribbled, I did poems, I did, you know, little short stories, you know, growing up and, and, and those kinds of things. But once I, uh, achieved my dream of working, uh, in libraries, um, I was done, but, you know, sometimes the universe hands you things and says, you know, try this hat on. <laughs> right. And I've had this hat on now for for 27 years. And so I still get to do the books, um, but in a different way. Yeah. Well, a- as someone who aspired to work in a library, you obviously were a bookish kid, huh? Oh, yeah. I read everything. Um, you know, oddly enough or interestingly enough, my mom read to me in the womb in 1950. Um, which was not something that, you know, people did. Yeah. She also bought me, um, I'm the oldest of seven. She also bought me these little cloth books that, you know, when I was still in the crib and of course I couldn't read them. I, she said I would eat the pages <laughs> <laughs> and she would say things like, eat those pages, baby, eat those pages, baby. So I guess I had to do uh, something with all those words that I had eaten. As a toddler, and uh, here we are today. I love it, uh, Beverly. Do you remember, um, you know, in your your adventures to the library? Uh, do you remember there being a book or a series or an author that just completely captured your imagination and and you know let you know that stories could could transform you and transport you? I think the first real series that I got into was the borrowers. Okay. Um, with those little bitty people who were yeah. 
going through and, you know, quote unquote, taking things. Um, but I think everything that I read and, and I read, you know, I'm one of those kids. I read everything in my neighborhood library, every book. And I think everything that I read sort of fed me uh, what I needed in voice and imagination and all of that um, to be who I am today. So very, very grateful for the Mark Twain Library on Burns and Gratiot in Detroit. It's no longer there. It was one of the libraries that was abandoned during the bankruptcy. And I mean, I was there every Saturday, every Saturday. And I saw pictures of it after it had been abandoned with, you know, the roof had caved in. It was water everywhere. The books were on the the floor. And, you know, and I saw that picture and I, I just cried. I just Mm. cried. So, you know, you hate to see one of your, your favorite places, you know, trash that way. And, you know, and I know that, you know, the city didn't do it out of a meanness of spirit, but, you know, out of a necessity. So, um, but I have the memories and that's what's most important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Beverly, being from Detroit, um, I, I, I love to, to try to figure out, uh, like how a, a sense of place, uh, factors into a writer's life into the, the work that they do. Um, do you see a connection to your history with, with Detroit and Michigan, um, as, as popping up in your work or having any sort of influence over the work that you do? Yeah. Um, I made my name, uh, and most of my career writing um, historical romance. And Detroit is, has played in, in many ways a great part in, in the history. Um, my third book, Indigo, is set um, in a small all-black town. And the uh, story is, um, takes place during the Underground Railroad. And Michigan was a very, very important place on the Michigan, on the Underground Railroad. My second book, <clears throat> which is a highlight, and I love to, to highlight little known facts of African-American, American history. Sure. Uh, my second book deals with the uh, African-American female doctors who um, learned their craft at the Women's Medical School in, in Pennsylvania during the 19th century. And that story takes place on the western side of the state, which is right across the the big lake from Chicago. And African-Americans had communities there um, on the Michigan side, even before Michigan was a state in 1837. So being able to use those black townships um, as the setting um, not only teaches, but also entertains. I like to call what I do edutainment. entertainment and education. Um, I also have five, I think five, five romantic suspense books that are set in modern day or present day uh, Detroit. Um, And so I used even the east side of Detroit where where I grew up as a setting for those. So Michigan has played a a very, very central um, part in the, I think it's 47 books that I've written 
Wow. Um, yeah. It keeps me out of trouble. Um, <laughs> writing well, keeps me out of trouble. So this think, idea. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on you. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say that, you know, Michigan plays a, a very important part in what I do because I, I try to entertain and educate. Well, this idea of edutainment, um, and, and I love that term, um, you know, history is one of these things that um, I, I I don't know if it, uh, how do I say this without uh, just offending um, a, a large swath of our audience? <laughs> um, uh, you know, in the public school system, because I was a public school kid, uh, it always felt like history um, was kind of that that subject that um, that was the last thing that, that anyone ever thought of. And so, you know, whatever coaches needed to do something, you know, for a couple of class periods a day, they got, you know, stuck in the history room teaching that. And, and it, it was, it, it's almost like they were given a list of bullet points, you know, here, yeah. here are the historical moments that we need to cover just make yeah. sure you hit these, you know, and yeah. it's, it's almost thought as like an afterthought, but I history agree. is, is so exciting and there's so much to, to be learned from our shared history or our, uh, you know, just knowing where you come from and the journeys of the people that, that, yeah. that, that, that traveled, um, these places. Uh, and so finding a way to entertain people while dropping some nuggets of truth in there and you know makes every everyone wins in that situation yeah they do there's no test on friday right you know and you can <laughs> i mean and and the way history is taught you know i agree with with what you said i mean it's so lifeless yeah um and so um you know and 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 they don't make it relevant um in how it affects you know, the current situation. I mean, we can look at what's happening in the country right now. And and for me, it's just a replay of what the country did uh, to itself uh, after Reconstruction. But if you don't have um, a, a, a knowledge of those kinds of things and you don't see how history repeats itself. But, you know, I I love history. And I think that's from my mom. Um, she was black before it was fashionable. So <laughs> I grew up, I grew up with a lot of African-American history in my home. Um, and to be able to influence not only readers, but um, their kids and their grandkids. Uh, an example of, of, of that, I had a reader who, um, because my readers are sharing that history, you know, they're not only just fanning from the love scenes. I mean, they're, they're actually, you know, learning stuff. And one of my readers said she'd given some of the information that she got from one of my books to her grandson to do his essay for uh, Black History Month, because, you know, in, in going back to how, you know, sometimes awful the history is, you know, of course, there's only five people in Black history if, you, if you're, in, you're in class, right? So, right. And, and um, and they only exist in February for some uh, reason. Of course, always, right. always. You know, so she had given um, this information, and I don't remember what it was. I think it might have been the Black and Brown Outlaws of, of Indian Territory. And he wrote the essay, and the teacher was like, where'd you get this information? And he said, 
out of my grandma's Miss Bev books. You know, so I'm, I'm teaching not only my readers, but, you know, they're teaching their kids and, and they're teaching the teachers. Um, Dream author by Sophie so Hanna is an immersive you know, 14-month coaching a program for writers in, at any and, and every level of experience. And also for those of you who want to write and are just waiting for the right encouragement and guidance to get you started. Your writing dreams should make you happy. Absolutely. For so many of us, our 100%. dreams are not a source of happiness. Um, Instead, they a, cause us stress, guilt, frustration, and even shame. Here's the great news. All of these feelings are natural and all writers experience them. The problem, though, is that when you're Writing dreams bring you more anxiety than joy that affects your resolve and your productivity that way. And you end up not taking the action you need to take in order to propel your dreams in the right direction so that they can stand a strong chance of coming true. That's why Sophie created the Dream Author Coaching Program to teach anyone who is passionate about writing how to change the way they build, think about, and pursue their writing dreams in order to become their own most powerful ally and advocate for the rest of their writing. Life. Short stories. And more great news. It was a class. Once you've learned that skill, it lasts so I wrote this forever. short story and, and she came Visit to me a couple dream days later and she told me how awesome it was. To get started today. She wanted to put it in a, um, a, a citywide uh, If you're looking for a uh, partner to help context. ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be. You know, on your 15, 16, you know, no you don't have a whole lot of confidence. And I was like, nah, Crystal nah, and her nah, staff nah, make a conscious so effort to be critical, yet courteous. They also strive to you make know, the 10, business side of things later, run smoothly um, so that you can I'm rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. And I'm writing a romance. Whether you need beta reading, me. developmental editing, because a manuscript then, critique, the mass, the line editing, closed. copy editing, or proofreading, uh, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Most of my, Check them uh, out today at picoshouse.com to get so started. So one day, um, I'm working at the Park Davis Library, which is one of the original big pharma companies that were founded in Detroit. And one of my colleagues had gotten a romance published. So we were celebrating her and I'm sort of telling her about this, you know, little romance I'm writing on for me. And she asked me to bring it in. And I did. And I tell her, her name's Laverne. I tell Laverne, this is her fault and my mama's fault for making me eat those books. <laughs> um, but she sort of harassed me. <laughs> I would say every day to find an agent to get uh, it published. And I eventually did. Um, and then came, I don't know, two years of rejections, just like every sort of first time author deals with. But because I wasn't planning on being published, you know, the rejections didn't hurt my, my spirit. And, you know, I was in a library. That's all I ever wanted out of life. Right. But um, Avon Books called me uh, June 3rd, 1993, which was my late husband's birthday. And uh, I've been in the marketplace ever since. Wow. Um, how many books did you say that you've published since then? I have, I think, you know, this is. This is why I have the readers with me when I do these things. They can tell me that <laughs> they have all the answers. No, Miss Bev, it's this. Um, I think it's 46. Wow. And I'm working on 47 right now. Um, 11 of them, which is I'm working on book 11 of my Blessing series, which is a women's fiction series. It's not romance. It has a romantic element, but it's mostly about found families and 
that's the series that that's becoming a television series. Yeah, right? Al Ro- yeah, Al Roker has uh, optioned it. Cool. There's still, yeah, the the legal eagles or the legal beagles are still <laughs> working on, you know, the paperwork and all of that. But I'm very very pleased. Um, I, I I've learned that he has a connection to uh, foster kids. I don't know if it's from having grown up with foster kids in his home or um, I haven't had a chance to speak with him, but pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. When who doesn't love Al Roker? I mean, he's, oh, he's one of those personalities that just everyone loves. The, oh, I think the, so too. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. So honored by that and his faith in, in the story. So 11 of the 46 or 47, um, are the the blessing series the rest are mostly historicals um i think there's eight novellas those are uh present day romances but you know i love it i mean who doesn't love a good romance i mean absolutely a, you know we're the largest portion of the market we sell more books than than anyone else and women centered stories and well, it's a, you're highlighting the best parts of life, the thing that 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 we're all striving to achieve at some point. Yeah. I mean, you don't get married thinking that you're not going to have a happily ever after. I mean, exactly. you don't marry someone and say, OK, I'm going to divorce this man tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it's not how life works. Um, so we're the literature of hope and and dreams and people are have been just buying our books during this pandemic like crazy uh looking for that comfort and in the great writing because i think we're some of the best writers out there um i mean because if you're writing romance you're writing about not only hope you're writing about relationships right and you know if, if your audience thinks about you know meeting that person that you love and 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 going from, you know, the first time you meet that person to the journey to where you are now, if you're still with that person. And then if you had to write that down with all of the ups and downs and the highs and the lows, and I would be very, very difficult. Um, so I think we've got some of the best writers in the world who are doing romance. So. Absolutely. Um, over the course of 47 books, has your writing process changed? Uh, do you do you approach a new project differently now than than way back when? Uh, and and maybe not maybe not comparing today with that first book. Maybe that's not fair. But you know, after two or three books, when you when you really are kind of settled into the role, ha- has it changed from now to then? I don't think it has changed. I'm still a pantser. Okay. Um, for those who don't know what a pantser is, we write by the seat of our pants. We have no idea what we're doing, <laughs> um, as opposed to a plotter who, you know, works out everything beforehand. I'm still a pantser. Um, when I lost my husband in '03, my kids are are grown and gone. Um, they're still in the area, but I'm in the house by myself, which is kind of cool. Um, but back then, I had a husband. I had two kids. I had a job. Uh, I had Community hats that I wore. I had a brownie troop. Um, stuff I did for my church. So most of my writing was done at night. 
you know, I'd, I'd work at night and then get up and start the day over again. And now that I'm in the house by myself, I'm still writing at night. Uh, the brain, some, you know, for some reason, you know, doesn't kick on until maybe nine o'clock at night. And I may write from nine at night till maybe two, three, four in the morning. Most of my friends know not to call me before 10 o'clock because I'm not going to answer the phone. Um, I'm either asleep or just going to bed. Um, so that has not changed. Um, the, the, the way I approach my stories has not changed either. So I'm still basically doing the same thing I did 25 years ago. Um, but back then there was no distraction called Twitter. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, the, the siren call of, of Twitter is sometimes the distraction I need. I mean, most of the writers I know, you know, you look us up in the dictionary and you'll find procrastination and it's is our middle name. Um, and we're always looking for a distraction. And Twitter is that for me. So. So, Miss Beverly, um, how do you as a, a, a self-avowed pantser? Um, and, and, you know, by the, the literal meaning of that term, you're writing by the seat of your pants. Um, it, it, is the, the idea creation process, like, like if you're writing by the seat of your pants and, and like you said, you know, literally no idea what's coming next. Um, how does a, how does a project begin for you? What is, what, what is that initial spark of inspiration? It varies. Sometimes it's, um, it's something that I've run across in history. Uh, the third book, uh, Indigo, was sparked by a very short phrase uh, in a book called Bullwhip Days. And Bullwhip Days is a, um, a compilation of interviews done by the WPA with um, the freed slaves who were still alive. So these people were in their you know, 80s and 90s. And the, the 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 man that they interviewed said that he knew a, a a man named Wyatt who was free, who sold himself into slavery for the love of a woman. Wow. Yeah. That stopped my heart. Right. Yeah. So romance is a feel-good genre. Uh there's no H-E-A in slavery. Um, because there was no guarantee that this woman that he sold away his freedom to, you know, she could have been sold the next day. So <clears throat> I, you know, the, the pantser in me said, you know, what if you wrote about, you know, their daughter who was somehow, some kind of way, you know, had escaped slavery and came to Michigan. And this is the Underground Railroad book that I was telling you about earlier. Um, so. Okay, I forgot where I was going. Um, oh, how it feels me, where I'm going. Okay, so each book is 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 different. It could be something like that. It could be a character that I run across. I saw a diary excerpt from a, uh, a gentleman who was uh, crossing the desert in the 19th century, and he saw a black woman walking across the desert with a cook stove on her head. <laughs> he said he didn't know where she was going you know she was just striding and I found that so interesting because I wanted to know her story so she becomes the, the, the heroine in my book Forbidden 
and I give her a story and I give her a name. And so different pieces, you know, invoke said writer, what if, you know, what if this, what if that? And then a lot of times that's all I have. It's just that kernel. And I don't know where the story's going. I don't know who's going to be in it. Um, I had an incident with um, my Always and Forever book where a guy is, he's, he's in a fight and he's brutalized and his, his people are, are having to get him out of town away from the bad guys. And, you know, writing is so odd. Um, they said they're going to take him into the swamps there in Texas. I didn't know there were swamps in Texas. I had to get my atlas out <laughs> and look. And sure enough, of course, you know, people know this. I didn't. Uh, there are swamps on the, the board of Texas and Louisiana. And in that swamp were two of the most um, important people in the story. I had no idea they were going to be in the story. So this pantser life is, is very odd. Um, it's a lot of fun. But you don't really know sometimes you know, what's going to happen or what's going on. I always tell when I, I did an interview, you know, a few years ago, and I said, you know, it's like my characters are sitting in the corner laughing at me because <laughs> they know the story and I don't, you know, and they feed me these little pieces, you know, usually late. Um, so I, I enjoy being a pantser. It's fun. Well, writing is one of those uh, professions, uh, one of the very few where you can say that people that don't exist in the real world <laughs> talk to you and and people don't want to you know put you in a in a padded room it's yeah, a, <laughs> it's a straitjacket yeah right. um, you know and, it, and it's great to have a community of writers that you're close to yeah because they get it um your family may not get it um you know your your your, your in-laws may not get it the people at work may not get it but your your writing community um, does, and that's important. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Your new series, the Women Who Dare. Uh, the first book in that was called Rebel. The new book, which is out today, uh, so everyone run and grab your copy. It's called Wild Rain, and uh, you know, like we were talking about earlier, uh, the importance of historical fiction and and finding stories around these. Uh, lost historical facts uh, mm -hmm. maybe lost is not a, a, a good word but you know what i mean yeah i know um, what you mean that when i opened this book wild rain i got it in the mail and started looking uh, you know who is beverly jenkins and and what is this book about and i i immediately was struck by this historical fact that i didn't know about wyoming um and you know uh post civil war what the uh what the what the landscape was like there and and how women were welcomed in and not only welcomed in, but given um, places of respect and, and given the free opportunities to mm -hmm. to pursue their dreams as well. Yeah. How did you stumble on this uh, historical fact and and uh, how did this become a story? Um, it's the third book I have set in Wyoming. Um... The first book is Nighthawk. The second book was Tempest, which is the uh, the world that uh, Wild Rain is in. Um, and, you know, when you're doing research, 
I mean, you come across stuff like that. Wyoming was the first place to allow women to vote way before 1920 um, because they were trying to, to get people to come out there. They needed, you know, more people to, to become a state and, and not stay a territory. So they opened it up and, you know, and then tried to get all these women to come out. And also because women build communities, uh, women will build churches and they will build the schools and, and they wanted all of that. It didn't turn out the way they wanted. I mean, not a whole lot of women came um, out west from back east, which was where they were, what they were hoping. But, you know, and also, too, um, African-Americans were everywhere in this country. People have a tendency to think that they were just in the South, um, but they were everywhere. So it's one of the joys of doing what I do is to, like you said, you know, unearth these these little nuggets of of history that are basically just sitting around on the ground waiting for somebody to pick up. Um, and you put them in a story. Women who dare. Um, I have been writing stories about women who dare. You know, my whole career, uh, African-American women have always pushed the envelope on gender and race. So we just, you know, decided to give it a name. (laughs) We called it (laughs) Women Who Dare. Um, But um, it's a little known, little known history. People are always blown away by it. Earlier in my career, when I was just getting started, I would put a very, very detailed bib list in the back so that, um, number one, I could answer the question, did African-Americans really do this? Um, And number two, give people a starting point if they wanted to do more um, research into whatever the subject was, whether it's, you know, like I said, the brown and black outlaws and gunmen and lawmen of Indian Territory, whether they wanted information on Harry Tubman's um, spy ring, you know, whether they wanted information on the, the great exodus of 1879, which was the, the first mass mar- mass, almost said mass market, the first mass <laughs> um, migration of African-Americans out of the South, um, not to be confused with the great migration of 1900, where a lot of the people in the South moved uh, north to places like Chicago and Detroit. The exodus, everybody moved west. So you have all these little bitty towns of these free black people in Kansas and Nebraska and Colorado and California. Um, And nobody knows anything about that. And that's one of the exciting things my readers find about my writing is is that they learn a lot of stuff. So especially, like I said, you know, and and it's not just my readers are everybody. You know, we we I touch every every demographic. Um, And they are very, very grateful to the people who are not black because they're learning as they go along also. So it's a good thing. Absolutely. A good thing. Um, You mentioned earlier that when you first started writing that the the market wasn't uh, wasn't open and accepting for African-American stories. And uh, has are you seeing that? I mean, obviously you are, but uh, with 47 books under your belt, <laughs> but you know, um, it, you know, there, there are people that are, that are not people of color who, who love these stories. Um, it, you know, can, can we get past the, the idea that, 
that, you know, this certain thing is for this audience, this certain oh, thing is for this audience. And, yeah. um, well, you know, you publishing know, feeds that too. I mean, and that's you know, okay. one of the things I've been railing about. Um, they, they've been putting uh, all of the, the young African-American romance writers who are just coming up um, in what I call the segregated parts of the bookstore where all the black people, all the black books are. And, you know, and some of the white readers will go to those sections and say, are these books for me? You know, and that should never be the question. No, books are for. And a book, books are for everyone. Yeah, books are for readers. Yeah, exactly. And, and, our, and a good story um, is not, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get so frustrated sometimes. Um, a good story is a good story. And it doesn't matter what color you are. If it's a good story, you're going to love it. Right. So for publishing to to sort of segregate and authors, you know, the authors hate it um, for publishing to segregate these stories this way is, is not for me a good thing. Um, but I write for everybody. I mean, I I, I had a woman, you know, uh, uh, you know, my books are in romance. My books are in these black sections. My books are in um, history. Um, earlier in my career, I got a letter from a woman who said, Miss Bev, I found your books in Men's Health. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> hey, wherever they sell. <laughs> no, I know. You know, and yes, some men could probably benefit from reading, you know, some romance. But I thought that was I'm kind sure of hilarious. <laughs> I'm sure their wives would agree with you. Yeah, I think so, too. But I found that hilarious. So. That is hilarious. Yeah. Um, the the new book Wild Rain uh, Spring is one of the best protagonists ever. Um, uh, how did you come up with her, and uh, is she loosely based on anyone, or were you just thinking of what a place like the the possibilities that a place like this would afford? Well, she's she's a minor character in uh, Tempest, okay, which is the story of a Spring's brother. And also the story of, I mean, you know, I talked about the lady walking across the desert with the cook stove on her head. Right. Um, this is her niece. Okay. Um, all my books are connected except one, I think. So she had a, a pretty interesting role in Tempest. Um, we learned a little bit about her past. We learned a little bit about, you know, how she made her living. And as I was touring for Tempest, selling Tempest, everywhere I went, people were like, when's spring going to get a story? When's spring going to get a story? When's spring going to get a story? So I knew enough about her to do a book for her. Um, she's also a dedication to, um, you know, and I want to be a spoiler, but I'm going to be a little bit of a spoiler. Uh, to women who don't want kids. Um, she's a female rancher. I get to tell, you know, stories of ranches. I didn't know anything about horses <laughs> until I started <laughs> doing the research for this. Um, so she's taught me a lot of things, too. But she's a she's she's a dynamic woman. I mean, she's all hard edges and barbed wire and you know, tough as nails and very, very independent and very, very set in her ways. 
So when this guy shows up from back east wanting to interview her brother, she's like, uh, no, I'm, I don't do love. You know, you can just <laughs> take your little questions and, you know, go on down the street, talk to my brother and go on back to D.C. Um, but they balance each other. He's very, very he's what we call in romance, a cinnamon roll. Um, just very, very I've, I've never heard that. Though. <laughs> that please tell me what that means. Um, he's very, very soft, very sweet. Um, you know, we'll 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 let the heroine lead the way, but not in a way that diminishes him. Okay. Um, his name is Garrett in this book, and he's very he's very he's very bookish. I mean, every time we see him, he's got a book in his hand. Um, but he's a cinnamon roll. It's the first cinnamon roll that I've ever written. He doesn't have that swagger or that, you know, sometimes arrogance that people associate with romance heroes. Um, we're getting more and more cinnamon roll guys um, in romance as romance continues to expand its, its uh, footprint. So we got this cinnamon roll and we got this badass woman and uh watching them do the do the dance of romances was very very i had a lot of fun writing this book um a lot of pathos too because she's got a hard, she had a hard life hard life coming up so lots of guns and outlaws and doctoring and horses and spring and garrett and buy a book everybody well, the the book had to be fun to write because it is so much fun to read. Um, e- even if you if you don't think you're a fan of the romance genre, and I'm I'm making air quotes here that um, you know, don't don't let uh genre designations determine what you read. Uh, if if there's anything that we can uh, you know, tell readers, don't don't get stuck in one genre. That it, it, let yourself feel more than, yeah. <laughs> than what you think you want to feel right. um, it, so there, much fun and there's so many misconceptions out there about oh yeah you know what romance is i mean this is this is february we wind up you know beheading a lot of journalists with their you know think pieces for what they think romance is um but yeah open yourself to to stories of hope um Stories that are women-centered, which we don't get a lot of in in literature these days. Um, there's an incredible, in, incredible stories being told by you know women um, in romance, and and now romance is you know it's not just for women. Um, every identity is is represented because we all need love. We are looking for love, you know, whether we're lesbian or whether we're straight or whether we're trans or you know, whatever we are, there's somebody out there for you, um, and there's a romance out there for you as well. And and all stories are are stories of human connection on some level. And and yeah, you're you're absolutely right. <laughs> the, the new book Wild Rain is available in Kindle edition or uh, or mass market paperback or audio book. Um, Miss Beverly, what what do you think of the the rise of of audiobooks, you know, over the last few years? They've been around forever, obviously, but it 
it seems to be one of the biggest growth markets in publishing right now. How do you feel about your works turned into audiobooks? Um, I love the idea that we give readers options. Yeah. Um, we give them options for Kindles. We give them options for Audible, um, audio. I don't do audio. Um, I, I just can't see myself, you know, sitting there and letting somebody read to me. <laughs> but, you know, because I got stuff to do. But a lot of readers, not just women, a lot of readers love them. They use them on their commutes. Um, they'll have them on their headphones while they're, you know, taking their kids to school or, you know, all of that. Um, and then some, uh, from what the ladies tell me, some narrators are better than others, but most of them are fabulous. I have a couple of girlfriends who are Audi judges. So um, I usually rely on them to tell me who I need to pick to, to do my audios. But I love, I love that, like I said, that we're giving people options and not all people consume entertainment the same way. Um, so I think that's one of the, the, the great things about publishing these days. Although, you know, we got a lot of issues, but um, getting the books to the people is not, is not a major one. Well, the new book, Wild Rain, is available everywhere uh, today. So uh, congratulations on release day. Uh, Beverly, I hope that uh, that the book finds its way into many, many people's hands. Um, and and please come back uh, when when your next book comes out. I've had so much fun chatting with you. Well, you know, all you have to do is give them a call. They'll call me up and we'll hook up. So uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. This has been fun. This has been a lot of fun. We're going to put links in the show notes uh, to Wild Rain and make it easy for people to find you. Uh, if people are just discovering you and your work, is there a place online where they can dig into all the great stuff that you do? Yeah, um, my website, uh, BeverlyJenkins.net, has all my books. There's also a downloadable, printable uh, list. Um, it's broken down into... Uh, publishing order and it's also broken down into series orders so you have your choice of how you want to read them and uh, if you find my books um, you like them sign up for my newsletter so you can keep and keep keep track of me we'll send you something for your birthday I always do um, and just don't be afraid of romance I think you'll like it excellent we're going to send everyone to see you and to pick up their copy of Wild Rain. Uh, Miss Beverly, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. You're very, very welcome. Thanks for having me. You take care. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. 
PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web.